Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you hear Honda Motor Company, what comes to mind? Reliability? Safety and simplicity? A company that sells its products to more than 140 countries around the world? Maybe it's more sentimental, skipping school on Kyle's old Civic. That trusty Accord you drove to Daytona for spring break 07. Or that amazing camping trip in the CRV before your ex-wife took it in the divorce. Rough. It's obvious that Honda is woven into the fabric of American car culture and has been for generations. Look at year-end sales numbers for the last 40 years and you'll find them at or near the top in nearly every single category. It's easy to say that they're just another international car company, but upon closer inspection, it's an entirely different story. One of an underdog who is decades late to the automotive game, only to make stunning breakthroughs in engineering and efficiency that shape the global auto landscapes that we know of today. Our question boils down to this. How the hell did a company that didn't build a car until 1963 ascend from the rubble of war-torn Japan and in less than 30 years rewrite the global automotive playbook? Today on Pass Gas, we're going to learn about Honda's revolutionary breakthroughs and how their continued success can be traced back to their singular eccentric founder, a 4-foot-11-inch visionary named Soichiro Honda. This is Pass Gas. Pass Gas. Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. He's four eleven. Yeah, man. Do you ever see old like old stairs from places that are like four hundred years old? The stairs are like toddler stairs. When I my family used to go to Wisconsin every summer, and we would eat at this place that John Dillinger got in a shootout. Yes, at. that's like near the Dells, right? Yeah, and it had one of they had one of his suits because he had to like leave really quickly because he was getting shot at. Of course, and his suit was so little. Really, John Dillinger was a little guy. Mm-hmm. I guess um, when you got guns, you don't have to be a big guy. 
Well, I'm just saying, I think back in the day, people were little. Yeah. People were like malnourished up until like 1970. Now we got hormones in our food. Yeah. We eat meat all injected up with steroids. We're giants. We'd rule back then, dude. You and me, they'd call us the Bash Brothers. <laughs> Move over, Jose Canseco. Like if you and me went back in time to like the 40s, they'd be like, oh, those huge guys. Yeah. If you took a football team, like an NFL team, and sent them back to 1901, they would rule. They would. Yeah, they'd be like Captain America. Kill everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, dude. We'll keep digging on that time machine. Welcome to Pass Gas, the Car History Podcast. I'm James Pumphrey, joined as always by Joe Not-So-Slow, Hardcore Bro Weber. <laughs> Damn, dude. You've been hitting that rhyming dictionary again? Yeah, dude. I'm, I've been feeding I've been feeding the old nog. <laughs> well, you may uh, not hear that velvety fog from Nolan Sykes this week because he's yeah, up he's in, in Atascadero. Oh, no, <laughs> no, don't start that rumor. He's with his family. He's completely he's safe and healthy. He's getting, his ha- he's getting his hands enlarged. <laughs> he's already got pretty big mitts. That's going to be a... I, that's what I told him, man, but he's got hand dysmorphia. He's always been <laughs> self-conscious about his hands, so he's going to take the holiday and yeah. get his hands enlarged. So when he comes back, he's going to look like a Spike Jones video. Every Thanksgiving, he gets really insecure about his hand size because if his family makes him watch Scary Movie 2 uh-huh. with Chris Elliott mm-hmm. and his little hand. Yeah, and they're like, look, Nolan, that's you. That's you, Nolan. <laughs> and this year, he just decided to do something about it. Yeah, so he's getting bones taken out of his legs and put into his fingers. <laughs> So he's going to be about 4'11", but he's, he's going to have big old mitts. Anyway, so Nolan's in the hospital. We're going to be talking about Honda. See, Drew Honda has always been one of my favorite guys in automotive history, so I'm really looking forward to this, you know? That's cool. I don't know much about him. You've probably done it up to speed on Honda at least a couple times, right? The, uh, the episode of Up to Speed on the S2000 covers Citro pretty in-depth. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't know if we're going to cover it in this. But at one point, he just like quit making motorcycles and went to the woods and made whiskey. What? Yeah. Whoa. He just became like a bootlegger. They also went from motorcycles to making F1 engines right away, right? That was like the jump? Uh, I believe so. Uh, or an F1 what? engine. I don't think it ever erased. Okay. But they were they went from like the Isle of Man TT... And then they were like, oh, we should probably just make an F1 engine. Yeah. Also, it's crazy that Soichiro seems like, a, like I don't know Japanese culture that well, but it seems like a very unique name. And then you realize that the founder of Toyota also has the f- same first name, Soichiro yeah. Toyota. It's like Matt. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, should we jump into it? Yeah. Hondas are reliable, affordable, and fuel efficient. We love it. Great. that's not exactly exciting fodder for us car nerds now is it so rather than give you a sunday school lesson on the bland details that you might be expecting we're going to talk about everything that led up to honda's revolutionary entrance onto the automotive scene and i mean this from the bottom of my heart by the end of this episode you might agree with me that honda very well may be the most individual rebellious maverick whatever you call it car company in the world I mean, they made the new Integra. 
<laughs> that was so bold of them. So bold. Honda's corporate and main, like, I don't like making fun of cars. You know, that's like kind of like one of my main things. And one of the, one of the, one of the main things about Donut is every car is cool. The new Integra is not cool. That is such a miss. And those guys screwed up. I don't even really, when people are like, it looks like an ILX. I haven't even Googled an ILX because it just looks like a, a cord to me. I've never wanted to kick a car in the nuts before. You don't even like that little uh, Integra decal they have on the side? No, I want to bully that car. <laughs> Honda's corporate and manufacturing philosophies are summarized in a set of principles called the Honda Way. They can be narrowed down into two categories, which can also describe the dichotomy of Seiichiro Honda's brilliance, practicality and mentality. Practicality is in relation to Honda's obsession with development. They are an engineer's first car company and value the input of the guy in the garage as much as the suits in the office. And because of this, their manufacturing process is always focused on minimalism over waste and simplicity over complexity. And rather than a corporate stooge lurking around every corner, they have autonomous design, development, and manufacturing teams that are continuously accountable for one another. So usually it's like engineers versus designers. Designers want this like unattainable cool car and the engineers always have to be like that's not physically possible to do that possible and so there's always a fight but engineering first means they develop all the engineering it's a good car it's solid and then they design it around it which makes sense for the new integra that design was an afterthought (laughs) yeah mentality is what drives the vision of the company honda always challenges the norm especially when it comes to development Making better machines is more important than hitting quotas, and their emphasis on quality is tied to the idea that a product can always get better. They embrace perpetual change, and as they put it, have unyielding cynicism about what is believed to be the truth. Huh. That seems more negative than I would imagine. Sounds like QAnon. (laughs) We'll expand on how these bold ideals have been put into practice soon, but first... How did they originate? When we say Soichiro Honda loved motors, we mean he loved them. In his rural hometown of Hamamatsu, he was always in the garage with his dad, but it wasn't cars he was working on. It was bicycles. And while two-wheelers would be a massive influence later in life, young Soichiro was eventually bored with their simplicity. That all changed in the 1910s when the preteen Honda saw a Ford Model T for, for the first time. I could not understand how it moved under its own power. He later reflected, I found myself chasing it down the road as far as I could run. I leaned over a spot of oil on the ground, and put my nose right up to it, <laughs> and rubbed my hands in the residue. From that moment on, I only had one fixed idea, and that was to invent machines and to get greasy with machine oil and lubricant. 100% did not ad-lib any of that. That was a real quote from Soichiro Honda. That's pretty amazing. Wanted to get greasy. See, this guy's, I'm telling you, man, this guy's up there. He's cool. Yeah. Honda dropped out of school at 15 and moved to Tokyo, where he looked for work on internal combustion engines. He got a job as an assistant at Art Shoka, where he got his first taste of auto manufacturing, impressing the crew so much that he became a riding mechanic at races. A diploma is worth less than a movie ticket. He boasted. With the ticket, you can at least enter the movie house and spend an enjoyable evening. But a diploma is by no means a sure ticket to life. 
What I want is knowledge. Man, every quote is pretty sick. Bangers, dude. This guy spits bangers. This guy knew I was up in the, what, 1910s? He probably made those quotes later, though. Yeah, when he was way smarter. Yeah, he's not like 10. Yeah, he's not like dipping his nose in oil anymore. (laughs) Yeah. At the age of 21, Honda moved back to Hamamatsu and opened a small mechanic and development shop that would eventually become Honda Motor Company. It was here where he developed two important breakthroughs. Cast iron wheel spokes for cars and bikes and piston rings for cars. Two simple products with immediate demand because of the need for more reliable transportation across the developing country. Honda was incredibly dedicated to finding solutions for problems he came across. He struggled with piston ring quality consistency, so he enrolled in college to study metals. He also visited factories to better understand how the most reliable metals were produced. True to his philosophy, Honda never got his diploma. <laughs> I love that that's like the hill that he dies on. I'll go to college, but I won't graduate. You can't make me graduate. I'm going to drop out on the last day. <laughs> I aced everything except for orientation. I refuse to go. They nicknamed me so AC row. <laughs> I'm missing one half credit. <laughs> We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Honda never got his diploma, but this research paid massive dividends because in 1941, Honda's reputation for quality and consistency was unmatched. He had 2,000 employees and his company, that's nuts, and his company was the number one piston ring supplier for the largest car company in Japan, Toyota Motors. I know those guys. I'll be the piston ring number one supplier. (laughs) That's a lot of time spent in the garage in the classroom, but Soichiro was far from a choir boy. 
One side of his personality was akin to Richard Branson or Howard Hughes, one of those unique people who possess both a brilliantly creative mind and copious amounts of energy. This guy just didn't stop. He was an eccentric dresser, usually suited and booted in loud colors with a fedora topping his bald dome. (laughs) (laughs) But don't get it twisted. (laughs) Honda was always willing to get his hands dirty, sometimes with substances other than motor oil. Uh Uh-oh. What does that mean? Coke? Cocaine? Come, 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 come. There's a legendary story about Soichiro meeting with an elderly customer at a Tokyo bar when the gentleman accidentally Uh. dropped his dentures into the outhouse toilet. (laughs) Oh my God, God, dude. Why are you you looking at your poop? How old are you? (laughs) It didn't matter that he was a successful businessman. Honda went after the mouthpiece like a vet checking a pregnant cow. I wanted to show a good example. Honda later stated, If you are a manager... If you are a top man of a corporation, you've got to lead others by showing good examples. <laughs> Getting elbow deep in a bunch of doo-doo and pee-pee. <laughs> Would you do this for any of like Donut's clients? If we're Ooh. trying to woo Aston Martin and, uh-uh. and the guy's toupee falls in like nope. a chamber pot? I'd laugh at him. <laughs> the guy who uh, Wyclef Jean dropped... Oh, God, dude, I got invited to that. You should have gone, man. That I know, in hindsight, been... I'll never see a CEO get paralyzed again. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm glad he's all right. I don't right. think he is paralyzed. I'm glad no. he's all right. But yeah, dude, just don't pick people up. Like, haven't you seen TikTok? Just don't pick people up. Yeah. I wonder if it was whose idea it was. I don't. Yeah. Just stay on the ground, dude. Yeah. And no one ever looks at Wyclef Jean and they're like, I bet he can hold a person on his shoulders. <laughs> I bet he can lift me. <laughs> While singing? <laughs> yeah, Shaq. I think yeah. about Shaq oh. picking me up at least once a week. I, I Google that photo of Shaq holding Bill Gates at least once a week. Yeah. I'd love to cuddle with Shaq. <laughs> In his giant Superman-themed bed? Yeah, I'd love it. I just want Shaq to like pick me up like a, <laughs> like a toddler. I want him to crack my back. Oh, my God. That would rule. Yeah. Shaq, if you're listening, <laughs> can you come crack our backs? Please. And then t- put me down for a nap? I think one of the only people I would fish dentures out of a chamber pot is Shaq. That's the only person I would. Jackie Chan, maybe? Jackie, ooh, Yeah, for sure. Jackie Chan, yeah. the treasure. Okay, Shaq, if you're listening, I will fish dentures out of doo-doo bucket if you crack my back <laughs> and then... Carry me upstairs and place me into a man-sized crib <laughs> and turn the lights on and close the door. So he's holding you like a baby, like you're, uh-huh. you're kind of over his shoulder. Is he burping you? No, but I'm going to pretend. Oh, I'm going to be in the car. Yeah. And I oh. fell asleep. <laughs> hey, you're pretending though. You're not, you didn't actually yeah, fall asleep. Because I just want Shaq to carry me. Yeah. He carries me upstairs and he puts me in my man-sized crib <laughs> and turns on some like ambient music that sounds like a great friday night and it's like cold and dark <laughs> and you just hear him like eat a spicy chip downstairs and go oh <laughs> dude i would pay so much money for that yeah when he wasn't elbow deep in sewage or on the cusp of engineering marvels honda was a party boy and thrill seeker okay 
He raced his favorite Harley-Davidson and had multiple high-speed car crashes, nearly dying in a 1936 race in the suburbs of Tokyo. That's nuts, dude. A Harley in Tokyo in 1936? That's a flex. Yeah. Despite these potentially exhausting distractions, his rebellious spirit and obsession with motors never wavered. When World War II ended, Honda was rich but restless. He wanted to roll the dice on something new, something truly his own, but didn't know what. He sold his piston ring business to Toyota and spent most of the next year making whiskey in his backyard garden in Hamamatsu. This is what you're talking about. He would just sit out there staring into space, sipping booze for hours at a time, which is which sounds like a great break from making piston rings, honestly. Yeah. His neighbors thought he was the laziest, craziest dude in the world. His wife, Sochi, it's kind of crazy. He kind of has the same white, uh, name as his wife. Mm. His wife, Sochi, also became unimpressed with Honda, zoned out, meandering, and as fate would have it, her annoyance would lead to a discussion that would inspire Honda's most revolutionary concept yet. It was October 1946, and because the country was still recovering from the war, cars in rural Japan were scarce. People had to bike everywhere, and it was custom for women to travel into town multiple times a week for food because in most homes, the man was working. However, as we've learned, that was not the case in the Honda household. Sochi finally had enough. She told Seichiro that she was sick of doing food runs while he sat on his ass and he was going to take over. Honda really didn't like the idea of riding that bike every day, so he got to thinking. He knew of a factory in Hamamatsu that had an abandoned stockpile of generator engines used for powering wireless radios during the war. So after a few months of tinkering, Honda figured out a way to use these engines as auxiliary power for bicycles. And behold, a motorcycle for the common man. <laughs> he began adapting the little two-cycle engines to run on turpentine Whoa. and opened his own factory to develop the bike's frame. The first model was completed in 1949, the D-Type, a.k.a. the Dream. <laughs> the Dream wrote a lot of songs for Beyonce. Yeah, he... He only really had like one hit album though, right? Mm-hmm. It was an instant nationwide hit. This success gave Sichiro the freedom to further develop and manufacture more reliable and efficient machines, something he loved but was soon to become a serious problem. Despite the company's rising popularity, Honda was spreading himself thin. He deeply believed that success can be achieved only through repeated failure and introspection. In fact... Success represents 1% of your work, which results only from 99% that is called failure. Wow. Inspiring words. But this obsession with R&D was straining the company's finances, so he begrudgingly admitted that he needed someone to help him raise more capital. An old acquaintance from his piston ring Toyota days introduced Honda to Takio Fujisawa, an investor and former employee of another Toyota subsidiary. Fujisawa and Honda had an immediate connection. These guys were like Jordan and Pippin in the boardroom, mirror, mirror images of each other in many ways, polar opposites in others. Honda was loud and rebellious. Takio was soft-spoken and disciplined. Fujisawa was an accounting genius, while the only numbers Suichiro cared about were the ones scribbled on an engineer's notepad. (laughs) 
The two men agreed on parameters. Honda had full control over development, and Fujisawa manned the books and marketing. The tandem was unstoppable. Fujisawa raised millions for Honda in the early 50s, which laid the foundation for Honda's foray into the mighty Western market. How much would you pay for a bottle of his whiskey that he brewed in his backyard? A uh, hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably just do like a shot of, or like a, yeah. you know, a little glass with ice and be like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but I'd pay like 20 or 30 bucks for a glass of it. Yes. Yeah. Which is a lot to pay for whiskey, but. Because also if I'm in a situation where I'm offered Sichiro Honda's whiskey. Yeah. I'm probably not paying for it. That's true. Yeah, it's probably like some uh, finance bro that's like, do I got your attention now? Yeah, that's the situation where that would come up. By 1959, Honda was the largest motorcycle maker in the world, but they didn't have the respect of other bike companies. Yes, they were light, cheap, and clever, but major motorcycle players like Harley-Davidson and BMW viewed Hondas more like little mopeds and certainly not a threat to their dominance in the Western market's love of size and power. <laughs> yeah, we love size. We're size queens. We're size queens. You give us all the size and power we want. I need it bigger and harder. <laughs> Electroglide, give it to me. <laughs> all of this condescension motivated the relentlessly competitive Soichiro all the more. Racing still ran through his veins, and he was determined to prove that he could roll with the big boys. If you can't roll with the big dogs, get off the porch. I don't think that Soichiro Honda said that quote, but I'll attribute it to him. It took a year or two, but it happened in 1961 when Honda stunned the competition at the Isle of Man endurance race in England. The TT is one of the, we talked about the TT a couple episodes ago. I say a couple episodes because time is, doesn't exist anymore. That was like a year and a half ago. (laughs) The first five bikes across the finish line were Hondas. That's, Pretty nuts for the first mm-hmm. race. News of the shocking upset spread fast. England's Daily Mirror said Honda's engines are the best in the world and walk like a fine watch. On the heels of this global exposure, Honda and Fujisawa decided that now was the time to take the leap into automobiles. Skip to 1963. The last successful car company built on U.S. soil was Chrysler in 1925, And in Japan, Nissan and Toyota had both been running since the 1930s. So needless to say, there was an industry-wide skepticism about Honda's crossover from bikes to cars. So Ichiro was consumed with producing the best automobile possible. Mr. Thunder, as his employees dubbed him. That's a badass name. What is Thunder Trueno or Eleven? Trueno. Mr. Trueno. Trueno-san. Chueno-san would micromanage the workers on the assembly line, sometimes melting down over the smallest quality issues. Oh, that's not good. No. I've been very severe because we are selling things that can affect customers' lives. If a small thing like a bolt or a nut goes wrong, the customer's life is in jeopardy. That is why I regard even the tiniest bolt and nut as very important factors For the protection of our customers. As far as work is concerned, I never make any compromise. This dude just is batting a thousand with quotes. Very quotable guy. Despite Honda's noble obsession, Fujisawa knew something had to change within their corporate structure. 
Honda was spending far more time meeting with engineers and tinkering with design than he was managing the company. This came to a head when Honda and Fujisawa had an argument that would soon inspire the crown jewel of both their careers. So Ichiro was dead set on figuring out a way to keep their car engines air-cooled just like his bikes, but this strategy was proving fruitless as his, as his exhausted engineers insisted they try a fluid-cooled approach. Frustrated, Fujisawa pressed Honda to pick a lane, either be the company's president or be an engineer, but not both. Honda wisely chose the presidency, <laughs> distancing himself from the factory floor for the first time and letting the engineers experiment outside his purview. Honda would later say his decision most likely saved the company during those initial automotive years. Because as fate would have it, the engineers came up with the liquid-cooled CVCC engine, something that was about to shock the automotive world. While American car companies were devastated by the early 70s double whammy of gas crisis and Clean Air Act, Honda, and the rest of Japan for that matter, knew it was their time to aggressively attack. Sichiro and Takio were licking their chops. They already had a head start with their lighter and more fuel-efficient philosophy. Now they just needed to design the right car. Throughout the 60s, they had released a number of small trucks and compacts, but their bread and butter was still motorcycles. That changed in 1972 when the CVCC engine debuted in the Honda Civic. It got 39 miles per gallon on the road and 27 miles per gallon in the city, numbers that Detroit refused to believe. When a GM executive claimed that the Honda engines wouldn't be able to carry the weight of American models, Honda had a Chevy flown to Japan and outfitted with its Honda motor, which, of course, handled the chunky beast without a hitch. <laughs> Dude, that's the first uh, Honda swap. Yeah. Shouts to the Boosted Boys, 19, 1972. I've, ne <laughs> I've never had an engine that got that good of mpg and this is their first engine they ever made in 1972 honda's numbers improved every single year in the 70s in 1979 honda was the first japanese company to open a plant on u.s soil their motorcycle operation near columbus ohio was followed by an auto plant with many more to come in 1980 they sold 375,000 cars in the american market which amounted to half of their overall automotive sales. well this is this is about when uh Reagan was like, okay, we got to put a cap on these guys. Yeah, okay. Uh, it turns out it's, uh, you got to pay that uh, chicken tax. <laughs> Age isn't real. <laughs> Just as the groundbreaking Civic came out, Sichiro and Fujisawa, in their classic unconventional way, shocked the auto world again. As Honda Motor Company celebrated its 25th anniversary in October of 1973, both men announced that they were going to retire. We're half good each, Honda told the board of directors. <laughs> we're like apprentice geishas who count as one geisha together. We wouldn't have made it if either of us weren't there. We're just applying the same logic to quitting. One goes, <laughs> the other goes too. That's amazing. That's it. A... <laughs> right. Like, can you imagine, like, the CEO of Ford stepping down and being like, I'm like a geisha, but half a geisha. <laughs> yeah, my friend's the other half of the geisha. <laughs> we'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. 
and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Unlike the typical nepotism-fueled corporate culture of the states, Honda's new president was chosen from among the employees. This decision is a perfect example of their merit-driven corporate approach and set the tone for Honda's post-Sichiro influence. Since his retirement, the ripple effect of Soichiro's renegade methodology has affected not only the company, but the entire industry at large. As a result of Honda's dramatic rise, over the following few decades, the entire Western manufacturing process would change, as would the way the global automotive business was done. Honda continued to fill their management positions with engineers from within the company. True to Soichiro's anti-establishment views on higher education, the guys in the boardroom aren't just MBA-toning college boys who could be working at any corporation. Honda executives know their vehicles inside and out and have been with the company for years. It's a system designed to create mastery in the highest levels of the company. That's honestly how more companies should operate. Yeah. 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 In his book, Driving Honda, author Jeffrey Rothfeeder gives a perfect example of this unique management strategy. At a groundbreaking ceremony of Honda's plant in Lincoln, Alabama, rather than a standard shovel, the keynote speaker corporate rep decided to use a Honda mulcher to make the initial dig. (laughs) A little bit corny, but pretty cool. However, when the moment arrived, the machine wouldn't start. Whoa, that's not a good, that's not good optics. It's a bad look. Bad look, dude. After several failed attempts, the suit himself hunkered down and tweaked the engine, then got her rolling. Okay, that's badass. Another example of Honda's, actually his boy Takeo Fujisawa's lasting vision, is in the way Honda continues to keep their departments clearly delineated. They believe that people work harder and more innovative if they are not forced. That's true. The same goes for the way the company handles promotions. They don't hinge on conveniently open positions, but on the personal achievements of the candidate. To the pride of Soichiro, Honda still obsesses over R&D. They even created a subsidiary for young innovators who can develop ideas without interference from senior level corporate goons. That is honestly the best policy they could probably have. But I don't know how the Integra still made it past. (laughs) Yeah. I like Honda historically as of late. Not a lot of uh, inspiring stuff going on. It's true. In addition to its unique development mentality, the actual way Honda builds their cars has changed the game as well. Prior to the impact, the amount of waste at the American big three automakers was obscene. Not only were there literally tons of materials dumped and discarded during production, but the management structures were mired in inefficiency. At the time, because Detroit was selling their product, they didn't see the need to tweak their process. Honda and actually Toyota too changed all of that. When it became clear that Japanese companies were here to stay, American corporations finally decided to take a serious look at the manufacturing methods of their new rivals from across the pond. And the rest is history. From complete overhauls of assembly lines to 
wide-ranging adaptions of Honda corporate philosophy, Western companies were forever influenced by not only the ways they build their cars, but how they conceptualize the vehicles in the first place. So how far have we come? A minute ago, we were figuring out how to put a radio motor on a bicycle, and now we're talking about changing the world. The Honda Motor Company was a tiny startup that managed to penetrate mm, markets <laughs> halfway around the globe in countries with radically different cultures and political systems. They didn't have the shareholders of GM, the legacy money of Ford, or the government bailout cash of Chrysler. Seichiro turned a little over three grand into a company that's worth over $200 billion today. Maybe the answer for our question at the start, how the hell did he do all of this, is actually an evolving one. Like one of Seichiro's vats of backyard whiskey. It's a living thing, constantly changing, which we now know is how Honda liked it. Well, that's a great way to tie it back. Yeah. In 1980, I'm, I'm just riffing, man. <laughs> in, 1980s, in a 1986 article for Inc. Magazine, that's INC, not the um, tattoo magazine. Not, not the Kat Von D yeah. feature. Joel Kotkin noted that maybe the reason Honda constantly has the pulse of the consumer is because the man himself never lost touch with ordinary people. I've never belonged to any secluded society, Honda said. I associate with anybody, rich, poor, doesn't make a difference. I prefer to have the principle of egalitarianism rather than a class distinction of people. Honda is boring? Get out of my face. Honda changed the world. Their corporate culture, manufacturing <laughs> methods, and vision for the future were decades ahead of their heavily favored American competitors. This company may not have supercars or spaceships yet. They have a supercar. But they do have past gas's respect. And today we learned that they got it from the Einstein of Japan, the Henry Ford of Hamamatsu, the genius in a fedora, Seichiro Honda. Bow down. Nice. I I really like Seichiro Honda. Dude, after it's so this. cool. And then you remember all these cool quotes coming from a guy under five feet tall. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a wearing like a big suit and a fedora. <laughs> it's it's like if Hezbollah was like wise. <laughs> And not just like a fighting just with like, geez, but I got, if he, if he was like I, I completely never forgot about Hezbollah of Hezbollah now. was like I've never belonged to any secluded society. I associate with anybody rich poor. Doesn't make a difference. And then he puts on a fedora and yeah. rides away on a little penny board. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I he's wise. He's very wise. He he seems to be very like self aware. Uh -huh. uh -huh. Like I said at the top, man, that he's, I've made a couple videos on him and I've done a fair amount of research into like his story and he's one of my favorite dudes. Like he's, yeah. And his son, his son started spoon, right? Uh, I believe so. So a cool family, cool family, them Hondas. Yeah. His wife kicked him out and said, stop making whiskey. I don't want to go to the damn store anymore. Go get a job. I'm not doing grocery shopping yeah. anymore. You can ride your dang bike. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? I'm sick of pedaling. 
<laughs> and then he turned it into a $200 billion business. I don't know how a radio... What, it, um, a radio had a motor? No, it's a generator motor. Oh, okay. To power like radios, like towers, I guess. So it's like it's a little kerosene motor. Yeah. Like, you know when we have a generator? We have the generator at the office to yeah, weld Yeah, because with? we don't have a... a Power? Electric grid. We our office is in the middle of an oil field. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was just like a little four cylinder diesel Zuzu motor. So this would just be like a smaller version of that. Okay. Well, that was fun. I it uh, was. I honestly didn't even think of the fact that no one wasn't here the whole time. No, I didn't miss him at all. But I hope his hands are big. <laughs> it's a very excruciating procedure. I I wish him the best. I wish him the best. I think I've seen the renders. I think he might be going <laughs> the, too big. The, the like surgeon's renders. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna look natural. Yeah. I would have gone for like a more natural hand enlarging. I don't think he needs it at all. No. He's got perfectly huge hands. Perfectly huge hands, but he's going like full on yeah. big old hands. Yeah. He's gonna be able to like cup a uh, football. Like, touch his fingers on the other side. Yeah. His set his goal is to be able to, uh, you know, those, like, memory balls or, like, those concentration those, the, balls? The, like, uh, yeah. The bells inside. He wants to be able to do that with uh, basketballs. No. That's, yeah, so. No one's ever done that before. Yep. That's Nolan. That's Nolan <laughs> for you. Real trendsetter. Well, thanks, you guys, for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow James at James Pumphrey on all platforms. Follow me at Joe G. Weber. Uh, if you want to write to us and tell us how much you hate us or how much you love us or how much we should talk about a subject that you want to talk about, uh, email us at pastgas at donutmedia.com. You want to read this email from Vance from Anchorage, James? A cool idea for a past gas episode, in my eyes, would be the collaborations from outdoor clothing companies and car companies. Eddie Bauer with Ford, LL Bean with Subaru, the North Face with Chevrolet. I didn't know North Face did so much. I didn't Chevrolet. know that either. Mainly taking place in the early 90s and mid-2000s was the awkward and odd collaborations with these companies. Take Chevy and the North Face. Ugly vehicles, the Avalanche and Trailblazer, dressed up with plastic outside and green and red in tears considered ugly then and now my brother jake and i i'm vance i've had this idea for a while so putting it out there thank you vance dude thank you vance that was a very eye-opening i always email. wondered about those too there's also like a nautica grand caravan really yeah i i only knew about the eddie far eddie bauer ford like the explorers and stuff but I would, I'd love to do a podcast on weird collaborations between car manufacturers and whatever. Uh, there's that like uh, Gears of War Jeep collaboration, which makes a lot of sense. A lot of mm -hmm. aggro uh, energy in that. <laughs> there's a lot, Anyways, yeah. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions like Vance, our, our boy Vance and his brother Jake in Anchorage, uh, email us at pastgas at donutmedia.com. And uh, take it easy. Till next time. Toot toot, baby, baby, toot toot.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.